I'm sort of I'm blending into this culture, and I understand my culture as well. So I I, I have the option here to choose between certain things that I want to agree and accept and carry on my life, and I want to leave some some things behind because I want to transition into a truer self where I'm more aware of this moment and rather than worrying about you know. Can I ask a question, Abby? The past and future. So. Sure. Um, so I guess what I want to dig into is you've talked about how mindfulness has kind of helped you reset the norms and reset cultural tra traditions that you came from. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to get into with this podcast or with this conversation is do you stop caring about um, either past traditions or cultures that you've been a part of, or do you stop caring about planetary problems, or is it more that mindfulness and meditation can focus the things that you care about and give you the power of how much you are controlled by your emotional response or how, you know, you can be in control of that emotional response. So still act in a way that is aligned with your values, but maybe have a little bit more conscious control over deciding what those values are and then enacting that. And if, if that is the case, um, does mindfulness ever require you to live in the past or live in the future? Or is it possible to live in the present and acknowledge the past and acknowledge the future at all times? I guess these are the things I'm wondering. You said you'd ask me one question. Sorry. You me <laughs> so, <six> questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have the answer to it. No problem. Um, so, your first question was regarding traditions. Uh, you asked if, if that meant that mindfulness, practicing mindfulness meant that you didn't know. If I'm, I might be sort of reframing this question, but I think you said something on the lines of, uh, does that mean you forget your, ignore your past traditions? Uh, and then your second question was, um, I forget. You asked something about, what was your second question? Um, I don't quite remember. It's about basically, do you care about the future? Do you care about issue, environmental issues? Excuse me. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, so what happens is when you're focused on all these traditional beliefs, you forget, uh, living in the present because you're busy fulfilling all these things, which are, which is awesome for people. They, they find that therapeutic, spiritual, and they probably serve the planet in that in that way as part of their tradition and culture. But for me, like I just want to take the spiritual aspect of that, of those traditions and cultures, and be in the moment. And when I, when we spend time out in nature, we all know that. We, we tend to care more about what the, what the big picture is, what truly we have to pay attention to. So that, that's where mindfulness, again, mindfulness comes into act, where you're, you're truly working towards something that you personally can change for yourself 
and then it's a ripple effect again you, you're spreading that knowledge and you're learning from other people you blend in with with the communities that you created you brainstorm things and then you every day you become a better person is what i think and this is possible when you actually like are mindful and if you practice that whereas what's the point of crying over spilled milk or what's the point of uh, worrying that oh this milk that i bought today is going to expire on the 24th mm. like there's no point worrying about that you if the milk if you don't finish the milk it well it's you can chuck it in your worm pump they don't mind it just saying that there's no point um, there's no point worrying too hard about the future or the past because you forget the present and i did that so much growing up you know because um obviously like I was born into a family which uh, we weren't rich or filthy rich or anything. We were just like a middle class family, and hence one of my parents decided to leave us and move uh, abroad because they wanted a better life for us, better education. Because it wasn't working in Bangalore, and um, I think living that sort of life, I've definitely realized not that uh, a simple life is easier because we always. strive to make more money and forget to live that that's the uh, that's how people in society are right a lot of not everybody but there are some people who make decisions saying i have to do this cuz i've got to just survive but they forget to be in the present and they but they lose out on these experiences and then they're not paying attention to what's happening in the universe and like in this beautiful planet you're not paying attention to the details the little things and you just miss out you've lost you've spent your whole life worrying and uh, scared of being judged by society by the decisions you've made now you can't even live your own life in peace like trying to yeah, work towards your goals what your true goals are i have another question anybody else my question is what if um living in the present and valuing everything that is in the present like these ecosystems that surround us the animals that live in these ecosystems their livelihoods like you can experience that but if you really value that doesn't that then require you to live in the future and plan um in order or look at the dimensions of power um that is you know destroying those habitats and doesn't that take you out of the present in order to truly care yeah, we can't hear you we can't hear you abby hi can you hear me yeah yeah yes i can hear you mommy did you want to say something Um I maybe you respond to this and then I might get into something. You will you remember? Um yeah. Awesome. So what I I was trying to say guys is that when you when you're focused on the present you're then planning your future is part of that right? It becomes part of it. You're not when you're focused on the past where you've had like certain everybody goes through things in their life which bothers them every day almost in their lives you know mm. it could be things at home with your family it could be things at work it could be like 
things when you went for a walk and someone said something to you, judged you, it could be anything. So when you're focused on that, now that you've come back home, you're having this battle in your head about why this person judged me when I went for a walk. But people are different. So if you pay less attention to that, you're still focused on what the goal is. Like, for example, for the three of us here, at least I should speak for myself, it's about really caring about the environment. And I've seen that, uh, obviously, with you all in times, you're my partner, and I've seen you care so much about animals and at work. I've seen Manny, just knowing her as a colleague, I've realized that she truly cares about the real things. So this conversation for us to have is easy. We we can we're on the same uh, frequency with this stuff. So what I'm trying to say is, you can be present in the moment and plan for a future where you're doing. You can't change the whole thing in one night or one day. It's all. It's about educating each other with a community intention of little communities where you're helping each other out do the right things, make the right decisions. And these little conversations lead into, you know, it becomes a generational thing Then you're, you're passing on this information, you take it wherever you go. When I go to India, I'll meet so many people and I'll tell them what I'm doing and what my life's focused on. I might inspire a few people and I might meet some people who will inspire me. So that's what I'm trying to say. Hey, um, I, I can sort of see where you're coming from with um, if we are like practicing mindfulness, then how can we sort of thinking without present? You said it. Sorry, Manny, you're dropping in and out. I, I don't know what's going on. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, there was a Buddhist monk. I'm not sure if you've heard of um, the Zen movement. It was a big thing in America. Yeah, in the 80s? Yes. It was sort of a mindfulness teaching movement. Yeah, I've definitely heard. I can't remember his name, but he said something like, each of you are perfect as you are. Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama. Yeah. Rinpoche. I'm not sure. Something Suzuki, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, Zen, yeah, he's the Japanese uh, Zen master Suzuki. Yes. Um, so he said, each of you are perfect the way you are and can use a little improvement. So <laughs> that really speaks on the importance of, like, examining our minds and practic- practicing mindfulness and being more present but also you know considering how we can better ourselves Zen Master Master Suzuki Roshi um I'm I'm not sure I I heard about him on a one of the talks that I listened to on the Waking Up app actually yeah I think Zen Master Roshi Suzuki anyways go on yeah so just thinking about how everything Thing and everyone is sort of already perfect, but we can still improve. It's maybe not so much about like future worrying, more so than like examining where we're at mm. and trying to improve things from a clear-headed state of mind. Um, 
being mindful, being in the present really makes you appreciate everything so much. Mm. I'm so grateful for um, nature and the planet that we live on and that makes me want to improve things even more. Mm. So, I think that that's a really good point. I think that um, often when we're living by the by the dictates of something that we should be doing or something that we're forced to be doing, you know, the kind of fear-based living, there's much less conscious, active choice-making. And my own experience of meditation and mindfulness is that it has quietened my experience of anxiety and all of that white noise that was going on in my head or going on in my emotional body that wasn't helpful to me and really enabled me to zoom back in and then, you know, be aware of things as they touched my awareness and touched my consciousness and then decide to pay attention to them and then be much more empowered when I took an action. And even if that action was just a thought, because then I write those thoughts down and then those thoughts can create conversations. And I think that that's a really beautiful manifestation in of itself, because I think that's how we like begin living in the world that comes next is just to, is just by imagining it and discussing it and resetting cultural norms. And I think mindfulness offers us a way to do that without accompanying anxiety that I think is a natural human reaction to any change. I don't know. Is that, does that resonate? Yeah, that's actually, that summarizes perfectly exactly what I'm sort of trying to say. Um, it's much easier to consciously make change if you're mindful. Mm. So if we're not practicing Did you make me a monitor? Uh, no, I accidentally dropped out. I don't know how that happened. Sorry, I was listening to Manny. Go on, Manny. Oh, what was I saying? <laughs> you were talking about uh, consciously being or being consciously aware. Is, uh, and making your choices, I, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure where I was going with that, but... Yeah, I definitely agree yeah. with you. It's helped yeah. me a lot with my anxiety about the future as well. Mm. Because I um, was listening to Michael Pollan's book and they actually talk about how depression and anxiety sort of stem from the same place, but it's more about tense. So depression is more past tense mm. based mm. and anxiety is more future tense, yeah. Mm. So if we can sort of become more mindful and consciously making decisions, we can mm. remove some of that anxiety mm. about the future. There's another really great um, kind of characterization of depression and anxiety that I came across in um, another writing that I was doing. And the writing was basically on um, – so there's – Philippa introduced me to this – journal that is um, for people with lived mental health experience and I have 
lived schizophrenic experience. Um, and basically it was a journal that invited perspectives from people who were not necessarily academics but had experience of mental health. Um, and so I wrote this piece that really examined resilience and the concept of planetary resilience um, and then also the concept of mental health resilience and how both of these things are systems that operate at an equilibrium. But when, can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Oh, oh no. Okay. I will repeat that story. Um, so this, this journal, I submitted a writing and the writing was basically on resilience and it was looking at planetary resilience and how that operates. It was looking at both planetary resilience and then making like a similarity with mental health resilience and then also talking about the intersection between planet eco-anxiety and how that can kind of really affect mental health. Um, and the characterization that I um, came across has like, so resilience is your ability to operate at an equilibrium and your ability to bounce back from a shock. And so the more, the greater the dysregulation, so say climate change is going to be, unless we can um, get control of it, it's going to totally change the earth system potentially. And things like anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, they totally change your ability to function normally. And this characterization was about hypo, um, a state of, uh, hypoactivity and a state state of hyperactivity. So we have like our um, our equilibrium rhythms, and depression is like when we go into a state where all of our um, all of our reflexes, our responses, our ways of um, processing are really slowed down. And then anxiety is when it's like sped up and our mind is racing and our emotions are racing and we can't get a control of it. And the idea that anxiety is about the future, I, I feel, <laughs> is really resonant. And the idea that we can get depressed about our past because there's nothing we can do and we slow down and we reflect. Like I think that those two characterizations are quite compatible and maybe worth examining. Thanks, guys. Um, okay, well, I'm ready to go into the next part of my podcast. Um, and so this says, should we pity the billionaires trapped in a mad cycle of always wanting and getting more, never being satisfied and, like Midas, turning everything they touch into gold so that these things are destroyed as they simultaneously increase in economic value? And I guess something that um, I've been thinking quite a bit about since I started my degree was about the way our, our economies are valued. Hi, I we lost you for 10 seconds. You lost me again. Okay, sorry, guys. Um, I, Network here is a bit... Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit stressful with network 
money, so bear with us, we might. So just keep let us know every time you don't hear us, money. Thank you. Yeah, that's all good. I will do. Thank you for your patience. Okay, so I'll just start this again. Should we pity the billionaires trapped in a mad cycle of always wanting and getting more, never being satisfied, and like Midas, turning everything they touch into gold so that these things are destroyed as they simultaneously increase in economic value? And then I just wanted to talk about how since I began my environmental degree, I've been really bothered by the way our um, economies work that money can multiply based on interest or based on debt and that things that have value to our very existence in like, you know, a, a, an ecosystem of trees creates oxygen that we need to survive or can help stabilize soils that helps us create agriculture or, or forage for food that we need to survive. These things have real realized value and yet they are economically valueless until they're destroyed. And it's only at the point that they're destroyed, turned into a product that they have any monetary value. And I guess, I don't know, that just seems so contradictory to me. Um, that, um, just a sec. Sorry, I dropped out again. How much did you guys hear? Abby, I can't hear you at all. Yeah, my network isn't very good today either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sucks. Can you, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yeah, for sure. That's because I'm <laughs> I can hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep trying because I really want this to work. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Thanks. Thanks for your patience. Um, I just, yeah, I was reflecting on the fact that for things to have a value in our economies, they have to be destroyed and turned into a resource, which seems to me very contradictory about what has value and what doesn't. Um, I don't know what you guys think of that, but, um... Yeah, I, I would really, um, in doing my master's, I really want to look at ways that we can actually account for things like that have economic, oh, sorry, have environmental or cultural value um, in our economies because it just doesn't make sense to me that everything is just about money, which is the currency which we exchange in order to get the things that have value. So it's just not aligned with the world that we need to live in. It's all, it's all kind of guided by the economies, the logic of the economies that we operate in, I think. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure how we're even going to get to a point where those sorts of things have value before they're destroyed. Mm, mm. Um, I know 
to me on a personal level those things have value but economically it's it's really hard to even say what would make these things more important and more valuable to the people sort of who are running the the whole only has value once it's destroyed because I guess I knew that already but hearing it put into that framing like that is a stressful thing to think about and that it's one of those things where I think like mindfulness has to come into play mm. because for me not to get totally like stressed and anxious about that thought like I really need to just like sit with it and be still and examine my mind um which I think is where the best solutions come from is that place of um, mindfulness and consciously thinking about what we can do moving forward. It's weird because on a societal scale, like I think those things have value to most people that I know, mm. much more value than a building mm. or mm. a car or a house. Like, But on the, the hierarchy of things, mm. they're sort of right at the bottom. Mm. So I'm not sure how we get to a point where that trend, people's values translate into what the economy says is valuable. That is so true. And I just really want to apologize if this content is triggering because like, I guess this is my process of dealing with my own anxieties. And I, I just don't want to inflict that on anyone else. Um, and um, I'm glad that there are strategies there that we can face into these things because I think it's important to face into these things because otherwise they can grow um, and, you know, they're manageable when we chop them up into little pieces and when we examine the pieces and go, okay, so this is what this problem is and this is how we action it. Um, and, yeah, but I, but I am sorry if I'm causing any distress by these topics and I really... Um, I really care very deeply for both of you guys and I, I don't want to be the cause of your stress. So sorry. Um, no, there's no need to apologise. Thinking about these sorts of things is what's really driving me to um, go to uni and study and potentially be able to make a difference. Mm. Um, mm. Because I know you can do that without formal education, but it is quite a lot easier when you are qualified in that, you know, institutional way mm. Mm. to enact this sort of change and it's something that's been, like, on my mind all the time, mm. especially working in the job that we're doing, being surrounded by nature and the environment and just being able to see firsthand what's actually happening, mm. it really makes me want to sort of enact this change. So you don't need to apologise at all. This is stuff I already think about day to day. Um, and it's really good to sort of talk about it with you guys and hash it out. I feel so too. I feel like it stops becoming your problem as an individual and you bring it to your community and you start kind of just problem solving it together and that can feel really empowering and turn something that you felt powerless about into something that you're actively making change and for me again Manny like that was my inspiration to um, resume my master's even though I'm like fuck the institutions I want to do it without the institutions um, 
is that I really, I know, I like, I am in contact with so many people in society who have amazing values, who are incredibly like self-sacrificial when it comes to even rescuing animals. And I, it, I really want to be a part of thinking about and driving and implementing changes that can recognize activities that have actual value and are values based and kind of aligning them then this this gross contradiction that we live in right now where things that have no values are simultaneously the most valuable thing to our economy. So if I can be a part of researching and creating grassroots citizen assemblies who can re-dictate and recapture, you know, what what is actually valuable and make sure that we are all guided by the right values when it comes to transactional value, then I think that that would be the foundational change needed to um to bring about environmental, social, cultural change and justice. But um, we are kind of handcuffed at the moment by the powerful elite that are just driving the planet into the ground um, in order to make a quick profit. And I, I think the only way to challenge that is, is for communities to stop being so splintered, come together and just circulate new ideas and... Um, with, with at its heart, a care ethic um, about each other and about places. And that exists. I think it just needs to be strengthened and tapped into and um, networked, I guess, a little bit better um, is my thought. But thank you. And, and thank you for your input as well. Um, I'm going to... Continue. The Serenity Prayer, first written by a German-American theologist, Reinhold Niebuhr, goes thus. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. In this game of high-stakes Russian roulette with the planet, the only individuals with any real power are the top 1%. So in order to maintain our serenity... Should the rest of us just accept our conditions as unchangeable or take part in an endless and futile battle for what we believe is right, no matter what we have the power to change or not? We make a deal with acceptance every time we commit our limited time to waged labour in return for a weekly paycheck. We are accepting the economic conditions as they exist in order to maintain living within a society we also have to accept because we need shelter, food, water and community and our acceptance of the status quo is the surest way to guarantee those things. And I just guess what I want to check in with the rest of the room was hearing that triggering because I guess it was a little bit triggering for me to write it and I really wanted to explore and delve into those feelings of my own powerlessness and of my my care and maybe maybe come to some conclusions or just come to some acceptance about it and I wonder what acceptance can be arrived about this state of um of of being any thoughts um 
as like as much as I sort of think about these things, and it does, you know, um, sort of weigh down on me in my day to day life. Like hearing that, it's not really anything shocking to me. I do. I'm not triggered at all. By the way, I just wanted to reassure you that it's totally fine to talk about these things um, because it has been a big part of my personal journey, like learning to. I guess accept, I think is the word that you used, mm. um, acceptance about the state of things. Mm. I don't think that that means that I'm ready to just sit back and watch everything unfold and just be completely happy with it. Mm. I do want to enact change and I do want to be part of these communities that are coming together and sort of talking about these things. Um, but I think, it, yeah, it's really important for my mental health to sort of accept at least try and accept the way that things are mm. now um, to a certain point. Not all the way, mm. but to a certain point where I feel like it, the thoughts aren't controlling my mind and my life and I can still, like, move through my life and enjoy what's happening right now instead of, like, being all this future thinking, being caught in that. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there is a way to accept things while also being able to enact change. Mm. Like that quote before, you're perfect the way you are, but can use a little improvement. I think that that's, after hearing that, like that's something that I keep with me all the time. Mm. Everything can use a little bit of improvement. I don't want to fully accept everything mm. and that's it. You know? mm. That's so powerful, um, like thinking about it in that way because – I know that for myself, I can get a bit binary. Like I can't accept this and therefore I can't be happy in this situation. And where do you find, where, how do you resolve that tension where you can, you can see the beauty in the world around you, but you can also be involved in the improvements that need to be made where they need to be made. And I think the answer to that is coming into a space of love and compassion and like forgiveness as well because um I know that sometimes for me at my work it can be really challenging um to see how volunteers are not properly economically rewarded for what I see as very hard work and very high highly skilled labor um and then I also get a bit um triggered by the fact that a, a lot of animals that come through wires um unfortunately because we want to can you guys still hear me yeah i can still hear you cool. yeah, sure. um so because we want a lot of animals to go back into the wild and it's considered cruel to put an animal that's not going to be able to survive in the wild either in the wild to be killed by another animal or in captivity you know at animals with injuries that if a human had them we would you know we would put a cast on their arm and they wouldn't it, it like we wouldn't be killed if we broke our arm and when it comes to animals that we find in the wild like birds particularly their bones are hollow and 
healing is very difficult for those bones. So the decision is often made instead of just keeping them in permanent captivity, which they wouldn't understand and would experience as cruelty, they are they are euthanized. And I have to accept that, but I also I also really want there to be a better way, a middle way, because to me, animal life is so precious and I, um, I want to treat it with the same respect and sense of, of sacredness that human life is approached with. So um, I, I guess it's really beautiful to um, hear the way that you make peace with these things, Manny, um, by accepting things but that not being the end of wanting to make them better like that resolves something for me <laughs> that I, I've just gone well it's I it's one or the other if you accept it then you don't then you can't change it yeah. also um Monica it's so good to have you in the room welcome would you like to come up on stage you can raise your hand if you'd like to or you can just listen um Cool. Anyway, Manny, what do you have anything to respond to that? Um, I just want to say, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That is that is a really hard thing to be perceiving. Mm -hmm. I I have a friend who was working at um, Blacktown Pound. She's not anymore because of her mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, but she had the exact same feelings about this. Like how can we place the lives of other creatures below the lives of humans? Mm. It doesn't make any sense mm. to her. Mm. Like that we, we are just equal. We are just two living beings. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important to recognise what we can change and what we can't change. Mm. And there, there has to be a level of acceptance with what we can't change. Because if we're getting to sort of focused on that mm. that's going to be a big cause of anxiety for us and we we can change stuff i also we sorry do things in their own lives mm. um so more than others but i think it's important to focus on what we can do more so yeah i also think it can be a cause for hate like fuck you why aren't you doing it the right way what you're doing is wrong and actually, we have to see the best. And so with wires, I'm like, okay, I'm so lucky to be part of an organization that cares enough about wild animals that they train people in how to rescue them, how to rehabilitate them when that's the most ethical thing to do. They have, um, it, maybe it's not perfect and maybe it can be improved, but many countries in the world don't have networks of volunteers rescuing animals. So I'm very, very lucky to be part of an organisation built on the care ethic of animals, even if I feel like some of their protocols and procedures are wrong. And that is much more healthy to come from a space of love and compassion because then you can work with the people who are there for the right reasons. Even if you consider that they're doing things that are the wrong actions, if the right reasons are there, and if you can connect with people or connect within an organisation based on the purpose that they have staked their, um, their you know, their organisational charter on, then you can bring about positive change. 
um, in a measured and respectful way from within, whereas, like, trying to tear it down because it's imperfect in your view, it, um, I think it's just all around destructive, like, internally destructive. It gives you feelings of anxiety and stress and also you don't get anywhere. You you just create enemies where you don't need to have enemies. So that's my challenge is just, I guess, coming into a space of compassionate acceptance um, and then hopefully being able to have a voice in that space and improve things, which I really care about. I really deeply care about. I can't hear you, Abby. Yeah. No? Okay. So I was just saying, uh, I think being grateful for every uh, second of your life is so important for us. Just in general, like so many people forget that how privileged we are than so many other people and animals. Mm. Just in general, that um, don't have the capacity or don't have the... Uh, resources, like even animals, because of the deforestation across the world. Mm. There's so much habitat loss and all these things. Like, you've got to be so grateful and uh, yeah, thankful for the life we have and spend, it, spend that energy on the right stuff, like on the, stay focused on the right path and pay attention to what's important rather than the politics and the uh, ego-based decisions that people make in their lives. Mm. I think that's so true. Um, I was going to go on, but Manny, is there anything you'd like to add to that before I do? Um, that was awesome, Avi. I don't really have anything to add, so if you'd like to keep going, please. Thank you. Um, I feel like we've already touched upon this stuff, um, but I'm going to keep reading anyway. What is caring anyway? Is it a state of perfect acceptance where you can accept an individual or institution perfectly, seeing every flaw or complexity with an endless compassion? Or is it resistance, knowing that there is something better to be had and demanding that this individual or institution improve in some way to meet the mental standard you have set for it? If caring is resistance, then is stress a direct correlation of the amount that you care? Is the inability to be mindful and receive serenity from being within the moment without trying to change it in any way? You lost me? Um, okay. Shall I? Okay. Um, I'll just start from the beginning then, I guess. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Can you just go back? Sure. Okay. Um, what is caring anyway? Is it a state of perfect acceptance where you can accept an individual? Not the beginning. Not the beginning? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. If caring is resistance, then is stress a direct correlation of the amount that you care? 
is the inability to be mindful and receive serenity from being within the moment without trying to change it in any way, does that make us monstrously uncaring of others, of the pain they might be suffering, the challenges they have to face? Do we switch off our empathy in order to bring into ourselves a sense of empowered calm? And if so, is that ethical? And Lauren, I'm mean, sorry, Manny, I just think that what you said is so powerful that these things are not in a binary that you can accept and still strive for change. You just have to find that balance within yourself. And it's, uh, but, but I don't know, is acceptance caring, I guess, is the main question of this podcast. Do you guys have any more thoughts on it? Is acceptance caring? Uh, Mama, I think I have a. I think this could be a question, not a statement. But how much caring, like everything in the world, requires caring, right? From your daily um, lives to everything requires caring. So, how much attention? How much care are you um, giving? And towards what I think is a very important question in our lives. Would that be a fair statement to make? I think so. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, like, when you care about something, um, say I cared about a child. Say I had a child and I really cared about them. Would I be better off caring about them by accepting everything about them, maybe their sexuality, maybe their um, choice of friends, maybe their choice of hobbies, maybe who they are as an individual, or do I care about them by wanting to help them um, succeed in the world and therefore they've got to do better academically or they need to skill themselves in a very specific way um like I feel like both of those things as a parent are an act of caring but one of them involves just perfect acceptance and one of them involves changing something or someone to improve it to either help that thing exist further in its own life or you know help the society around it. So if I, I guess, really cared about the billionaires, maybe I would want them to have more of a collective sense of empathy because I feel like that would improve them as in, as individuals but also improve um, everybody's life <laughs> in general. I guess that was my, my central question about what is caring. Is caring perfect acceptance or is it, resistance to create something better. Abby, we can't hear you. That's such a, a hard question to have an answer to. <laughs> um, with the child example, um, I think it's really important to accept things sort of are the way they're going to be, like accepting your child's um, lifestyle and their choices. But, yeah, there is definitely, like, an aspect of you do have to want to help them be the best person that they can be. Mm. Um, 
and we we want to help the world be like the best sort of world that we can live in. But yeah, things that are out of our control, we, I think we have to accept a little bit. Mm. Um, so like a child's for example, that's completely out of a parent's control. Mm-hmm. It's something that we can't force um, change onto. You can't change that about someone. Yeah. So in that example, like you would really just want to accept the way that is because you can't control it. Yeah. There's definitely things in our world that we're living in that we do have the ability to change. So do we just accept that? Mm. I'm not sure. I just kind of want to speak from a personal perspective um, that might give you a little bit of the, an insight into my life with Abby Nanny um, is that like I am so in my head so much of the time that I can be a bit messy and Abby is a very conscientious, considerate, kind person to live with but you know, it's really important to him that the space is kept clean and kept beautiful. And I really value that because I benefit from that as well. So while I am totally free to be who I am and have the conversations that are really deep and talk about things that matter to me, I make changes that I feel improve myself by being a bit more aware of my environment, being aware of my footprint in that environment and being aware of um, the way that I participate in the structures of that environment, like cleaning up after dinner or cooking for him once in a while and sharing things, you know, mindfully, I guess, for, for want of a better word. So I kind of feel like caring is both. But there has to be a balance where, you know, the things that are most important and most unchangeable you can accept and the things that can be improved and aren't central to someone's identity, you know, you can help them become better versions of themselves. Maybe that would be an answer. Yeah, I totally 100% agree with that. I think it's important, like in that example as well, to think about who is this affecting. Mm. Like, not doing something is doing something. Mm. I, mean, mm. I don't know if that if that makes any sense, but by like by not making a choice, what choice are we making? Yeah. And who are we affecting with the choices that we are making and mm. the changes that we are implementing in our lives? Mm. At the end of the day, like I think. Our society is very like individualized. Yes. Um, where I sort of wish it wasn't, mm. and I'm really like trying to change that about my personal life. That it's, I'm not so individual. I am, you know, um, thinking about the way I'm moving through life from more of like a community point of view. Mm. And it is really important to think about who is this affecting. Yeah. And sort of how much energy we put into this depends personally for me on like how much it affects not just me but sort of everyone else if it's something that's just a me thing um then I'm sort of less likely to want to implement those changes Mm. or just acceptance of who I am as a person Mm. but yeah I've got to think about that so I have two responses to that and one is that like 
I think we have these incredible challenges put up in front of us from being being raised in individualistic, materialist-based societies and that that will require a journey about unlearning some of the habits that we've just taken on as part of the, that lifestyle and those cultural assumptions that we were born with um, and that there are things called citizen assemblies or citizen juries where people from all walks of life come together and discuss some kind of cultural or political issue and create a judgment that is actually, um, in effect, much more powerful and much more effective because it has the voice of many involved in that decision-making process. So really it's about learning how to um, collaborate rather than compete with other individuals and and that brings me to my second point that there is um, a cut out. Sorry. Um, so. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Manny? Hello. Yeah. You can yeah. hear me? Okay. Um, I'm just shifting my position on the couch. Maybe that'll get me to some place with more Wi-Fi. Yeah, I've just been moving around hoping. <laughs> I might um, I might actually sit right next to the window. Maybe that will help the signal. Um, but yeah. So my first point was that they there is definite evidence that the collaboration of multiple voices creates better decisions for society and better political decisions um, just because everybody has a perspective that they're able to bring in um, and that we were raised in a way that really prioritised competition rather than collaboration. So learning collaboration is a new skill that will require um, new muscles and habits to be built, which brings me to my second point, which is about um, principle versus position-based argumentation. And basically, a position-based argument is I'm right, you're wrong, and for me to be right, you have to be wrong. Like, it's very adversarial. Whereas I feel like the kind of decision-making we need to have where people are cared for in the things that are unchangeable and intrinsic to themselves but also are able to care for others in that they might change something about themselves that is a bit more considerate to the people around them, maybe their cleaning habits, for example. Um, this second type of argumentation is principle-based. It's like, okay, well, what do I need out of this and what do you need out of this? And how do we come to some kind of mutual arrangement where we can create a situation which has elements of both? And for that, it really requires very good communication, good empathy, good kind of perspective-taking ability, and a willingness to collaborate and a willingness to care about the things that are important to an individual um, without... Uh, without making individualism like the central driving value, but also takes into account the collective without totally sublimating an individual's rights. And I think that that's a really tricky balance to, um, to have. 
I guess. So my two responses to you. And Abby is just on a phone call, so that's why he's not been chatting. Oh. Abby can't hear you. Anyway, Manny, could you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello? Can anyone hear me? Manny, can you let me know if you can hear me? Why? I can hear you now. Okay. How much of that did you get? Um, Avi came back in and then it sort of just stopped. Yeah, okay. Um, so I was talking about uh, position-based versus principle-based argumentation. Did you hear that? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I think that was the last thing that I had to say, that one kind of enables collaboration and one is very much more about individual uh, individualism and individual rights. And I, I think that there needs to be a balance with someone's individuality being respected um, and also a collective care ethic being a part of everybody's kind of awareness. But I think it's a balance. What do you think? Yeah, I, um, it's strange. I've never actually heard of this. What's it called? The types of... It's principle versus position-based argumentation. And I just did, like, one class on it at uni and it really stuck with me. Uh, I can hear you now, yeah. Okay. Um, principle versus position-based argumentation. incredible vulnerability for you to be able to introspect enough to know what you need from a situation and then to be able to ask that because it's much easier to go no things have to stay like this and then you get all of these needs met but you actually don't know what those needs are and you would be way too scared to vocalize them with someone in creating a new situation so it's like 
easier to hang on to what already exists than than be vulnerable. I think. I think that's one of the. Um, I dropped out. I'm so sorry. Did you hear me? Okay. I made you moderator. <laughs> well done. Welcome to moderation world. Um, okay. So what I was saying is that I think um, determining what you want and then being able to communicate that requires incredible self-honesty and incredible vulnerability. And that's something that's really challenging in a world where there's a lot of challenges and you've kind of just got to, you know, put your guard up a lot of the time. Um, and so it's much easier to control a situation and go, no, things have to stay this way um, because then you're getting your needs met in that situation. And it's easier to do that and control that situation than to actually introspect determine exactly what it is that you need and then vocalise that. So I think that many people would have a similar problem and I think that that's what makes these kind of conversations really valuable because they build up a muscle of introspection and communication, which we don't get a lot of practice with in society, to be honest. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with you on that. Hey. There's a lot of unlearning involved, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. A lot of learning and unlearning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Abby is on another call, but I might just assist because I'm finding this a really rewarding conversation with you. So thank you. Um, I've, I've got a – can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hey! I've got a soil analogy coming up, which as a bush regenerator you might enjoy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I laughed a little bit just then. <laughs> okay. Um, let's look at this question through another lens, that of nutrient-rich versus nutrient-barren soil. Let's say that our state of perfect acceptance is nutrient-rich soil. Anything can grow here, and in fact, many things flourish in these rich conditions. But as things are flourishing, certain species, better at outcompeting other species, take over. We call these weeds, and the relaxed setting we have created in this ecosystem allows the most successful of these plant species to take all of the nutrients for themselves. In contrast, imagine a totally barren, sandy soil somewhere in a desert. Nothing grows here except the hardiest of, of plant species that have, that have to have multiple adaptations in order to just survive. This species lives under the constant stress of just barely being able to meet its own nutrient needs and just does not have any energy left over to recolonize or overtake the rest of the landscape. Are these conditions that we will use to stand as a metaphor for resistance, full of stress, struggling just to survive? And I guess in this weird metaphorical analogy way, I'm asking the question, what's the better set of soil conditions? One that like there's not this exploitation and competition that can happen with really rich ecosystems. 
Actually, I don't even know that that's a fair analogy because healthy ecosystems have like this symbiosis of a very of a great diversity and abundance of species. So I don't even know if that's me that metaphor is meaningful. But if it is meaningful, let me know. Um, I I appreciate your soil analogy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's much easier for us to flourish coming from a place of okay, we've got you know I'm just gonna pretend that I'm a tree here, or something. <laughs> but we've got nutrient-rich soil. There's room for everyone to flourish. Maybe there's some out-competing others, but it at least gives us a space to sort of grow mm. um versus being in that state of like stress this is you know i'm just surviving mm. um i don't know it's it's such a weird question to think about <laughs> so i think we do need that diversity yeah um even if there's some you know weeds in there quote unquote yeah it allows room for us so yeah, I don't know. And actually, if you look at healthy ecosystems, the greater the diversity, the more that those um, those plants or even fauna that is typically invasive, like it, they get balanced out. So if you have the right like ingredients in there, if it was really nutrient rich, um, it would just have the right balance. And I guess that that can take hundreds of years, thousands of years to create an ecosystem that has that right balance. But I think that, you know, it is about balance and it is about coexistence and it is about not overtaking other people's needs and being the invasive species that takes everything for yourself, but equally having enough that you need to be able to flourish. And so when it comes down to a care ethic, I think... I think caring is, like, I think the point has been made in several different ways through several, several different angles that real caring is a balance between accepting something as it is and changing something for the better. Like, I just, I think that's the answer. I think it's neither one nor the other, but I, I just... Yeah, we can keep going, but I think that's the answer. I think it's what you have been saying all along with that quote. You just fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that that's the answer, the balance between what we can accept and the change that we can enact for yeah. the better. Yeah. Um, yeah, all these questions that you're posing, I feel like that's sort of the central theme that it isn't binary. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like this middle ground. Mm of what makes us the happiest, but also what enables us to, like, help the world thrive mm. um, and not just being stagnant. So, yeah. yeah. It's equilibrium um, in, like, all of its senses. It's equilibrium as being equal between two different states and also, you know, equilibrium as being able to maintain... I don't know, maintain a sense of peace and serenity, which you guys can hear me. I can hear. Oh, I can hear you. I was just talking, but I have my mic off. So sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> just like wrapped it up with that. I'm not sure if I have like much more to add. Okay. I have, I have a couple more paragraphs. Um, could I quickly rail through them and then we could, um, 
we could wrap this yep. up if you'd like. Let's do it. Okay. Um, but I was just saying something that, you know, it really to me it's about maintaining equilibrium, both equilibrium between uh, which in the sense that it's a balance between two states, either extreme extremes on either direction and also equilibrium as in maintaining serenity and your peace which kind of brings us back to mindfulness so I really like that and actually when I wrote this I was like I don't know the answer so you've just really uh, helped me (laughs) it's because usually I write these podcasts and I know exactly what I think about it and this one I'm like I just have questions I don't have answers (laughs) thank you um okay Oh, here it is. Um, Oh, caring about something requires us to attach to that thing. I am attached to this planet. I want its ecosystems preserved, its arboreal and marine habitats left pristine, the animals that inhabit it being able to continue their livelihoods without being poached, poisoned or starved to extinction. To me, that equals care. So as an extension of that care ethic, I resist being a part of the ongoing pollution that would see those ecosystems exploited out of existence. Equally, though, I accept the dynamics as they exist within an ecosystem. I accept that predators eat prey, that plants photosynthesize, that they are then eaten by herbivores and become the food for carnivores. I care for the life of each plant or animal in this space, but if their death provides nutrients for another animal, plant or fungi, I can accept that too. So in this way, my care takes on the lens of perfect acceptance. I am attached to the ecosystem and its right to continue to continued existence and will experience stress as a result of this care. However, I am detached from the life of each animal within this ecosystem and so will experience no stress if one animal is hunted down and eaten by another. This is the logic, the grammar of ecosystems. And as humans, we, oh, sorry, let's just, I'm just going to pause that because I feel like that's um, another balance between um care and acceptance or is that is that what it's balancing it's like I accept internal dynamics but I wouldn't accept the external dynamics that would change the internal dynamics does that make sense I don't know yes um, I sort of see where you're getting with that um yeah that's I think that's a perfect example of I care so deeply about like all of these things, but there is this natural sort of order to it that we can't really interfere with. Yeah. Because I think that would create more problems than just accepting it the way that it is. Definitely. And I think, but in this lens, does the, like, I accept it but want to improve it, I don't know that that exists. Unless it does exist if we were the stewards of these ecosystems and we could just, like, help to create healthier ecosystems and that's the way we improve it rather than totally changing it to be something that doesn't even resemble an ecosystem anymore if that makes sense yeah I, oh that's a hard one. Oh, i don't know like i i think we can put the work into improving ecosystems without like completely altering it to a point of this is unrecognizable as a natural system. Um, yeah, I think we do need to care a little bit about those things. Mm. 
but there is that acceptance of, okay, there's, you know, that natural order and the plant will get eaten by the herbivore and the herbivore is going to get eaten by the carnivore and that's just sort of the system. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like perfect acceptance of the system and then seeing how you might be able to tweak parts of the system to help it flourish a bit better without fundamentally changing its characteristics. And I think that's like why for me I wanted to learn about bush regeneration or I wanted to learn about uh, environmental management is because I wanted to know the logic of these systems so that I could help without hurting just by by having more knowledge of what is natural so I don't interfere with something that should be left as it is but I can also you know take out weeds if they're really hurting the natural endemic species that are naturally found there and I think yeah Yes, if, if something is colonising to the point of it's not, you know, sticking to that niche. Um, order of things, yeah. I think some interference is acceptable. Mm. Like, enacting some change is acceptable. Mm. If one thing is going to colonise and everything else is going to be pushed out. Yeah. Um, trying to keep things as much as we can sort of to that natural, um, like, what is the, what's the word? From a bush region perspective, there's rehabilitation. Um, yeah, like assisted regeneration. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I feel like this is a really good metaphor for power in society as well. Like when power in systems is distributed in a way that's organic and sustainable, like no real interference is required. It's just a really kind of... Um, more democratic process that you can coexist with but currently in our society it feels like there's a few invasive species that have totally colonized all power and all voice and all decision making and it would be really great if there was some kind of weed control program <laughs> just in place because that might help redistribute things a little bit better yeah, that would be fantastic. <laughs> we need control system for the colonizers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's where I'm like, okay, I can sort of accept my life, but I need this change. Yeah, exactly. Gonna, I can't do much about it as an individual. Mm. This is where that collaboration is really important. Yeah. I think that the key will lie in community and the amount that we're able to, like, be a part of a community and then utilise that community for positive love-based change. I just, like, I see that as the future and that brings yeah. me a lot of hope and comfort. But also, like, I guess that's it's it, that or nothing because that's the only choices. So that's what I'm staking everything for. For me, anyway. Yeah, it's definitely it's our best option. Yeah, it is, and it's a beautiful option, and it offers a beautiful life, and like mental stability, and just a beautiful care ethic for everything. So I really hope we can realize it, and I'm just I'm inspired just by being able to strive for it, no matter what. The results are and I guess practicing mindfulness helps me accept whatever is whatever the present is and you know look forward to the improvements see the present as perfect and 
and then fix it, <laughs> which I'm, I'm really loving. And I have a couple more paragraphs. Um, okay, this is the logic, the grammar of ecosystems. And as humans, we think that we are the exception. The value and attachment we place on our own life and livelihoods leads us to detach from caring for entire ecosystems if those ecosystems will provide us with a material comfort or a way to extend our lives. Our attachment to our material comforts forces us as humans to live in resistance to natural flows and rhythms. This resistance gives us power, but that power is born from forcing both natural ecosystems and other people in human systems to yield to our will, our individual vision. Are those in society with the most power, the most courage to change the things they can, really the most serene? That level of power requires constant guarding, constant maintenance, constant resistance, to natural entropy. In seizing and maintaining that level of power, we can change the rules of how life on the planet exists. Except that we can't really. Our oxygen is created by trees, our food generated by the complex interplay of soil-based organisms and nutrients and plants, and the multitude of life species supported by this foundation. The power we have, the power we seized, is the power to destroy ourselves. If we really cared about the continuance of life on planet Earth, what should we accept and what should we resist? And that's the end of it. But I just want to say that I guess my key question at the heart of this is, um, like, there are natural systems and humans are... Humans have such a sense of the sacredness of their own life that they totally dismiss the value of all other life It will, if it will help them improve the, the comfort and material needs of their life, which is so much more valuable. So I guess there's a question there about how can one life be more valuable than another? Hi guys, I'm back. Sorry. Happy. Hey. Um, uh, can you say something? Uh, you can go first, and then I'll follow. And that's okay. I've been um talking a lot, so I'm happy to hear you. I'm loving it. Thank you. Awesome. So, can you just repeat that question again? Sorry, honey. So, the last paragraph was all about how we're willing to sacrifice entire ecosystems if oh. Sorry, I just I just repeated my question, but my mic was off. So let me repeat that question to you while my mic is on. Um, so my last question was basically about how, as humans, as a collective, not as us individuals, but we are willing to see entire ecosystems gone or rechanged if it will improve the material comfort or ability to extend our own lives. And at the heart of that is that we value human life as so much more than every other life in every other ecosystem on the planet that we are willing to sacrifice everything for a human life. And um, I just don't think that human life has that much more value and therefore, I don't think that there is a logic behind the destruction of an ecosystem to improve 
an individual species' livelihoods? I don't know if that's a question, but that's just where I'm at. Cool. I just think um, we as human beings are egoistic in our nature. So what happens is we tend to spend a lot of time uh, upon ourselves, but also, which is great, it's awesome to, uh, the whole concept of loving yourself is, it starts with loving yourself is all true, and I completely am a believer in that. But with that element also comes, I think, can you guys hear me? Just flash your mics. Awesome. So with that element also comes, I think, a sense of uh, ego. So what happens is you pay, you're paying attention on the wrong things to satisfy your needs, which then become becomes greed mm. almost. And then you forget to pay attention to other species. You don't even have time for other people. And then obviously when you don't have time for other people, you don't, then don't have, obviously don't have time for uh, um, I mean, maybe this is just my way of looking at it. I could be wrong, but um, obviously don't have time for animals or mm. wildlife, you know, because or nature in general, even a, uh, even a fungi or uh, just plants, not watering your garden or paying attention to those little things. Everyone wants to have a plant, but they can't, They a lot of people don't, like, they forget to water their plants. And then it's just gone one day and then you you buy yourself another plant but uh, the act of watering a plant and then nurturing it and watching it grow is such a beautiful so and that that is such a positive uh, way of looking at a life that if you implemented that in everything else that you did paid more attention to the details around you you then focus more on um, giving to nature rather than just taking all the time and depleting the resources. Can I critique something that you've said, Abby? Sure. Um, because when you said that it's due to humans being totally egoistic, I don't know whether that's a fair characterization, just because I feel like that is a very hate-based characterization and maybe a more compassionate way of framing that is that humans have become disconnected and therefore their value system is disordered where they don't they don't see the value in lives beyond their own life and maybe that's their ego but maybe it's their context and their cultural conditioning i think that that might yeah, be more compassionate i agree with you i, I like that statement thank you so much that's very kind um yeah i think they uh, all, a lot of the conditioning leads to them not being aware of what's important. They just follow on with their lives and just do the usual stuff, you know. Cook their meals, go yeah. shopping, come back, cook their meals, and the whole cycle just continues. There's no uh, change happening. There's nothing. They're not enforcing change. or um, and I don't know. That's, that's what I have. Thank you so much. Manny, did you want to add anything? Yeah, um, I think that we need to be looking out for ourselves, not in the sense of I'm more important than anything else, coming from a place, I think, of like speciesism is what I would sort of describe. Um, it's the word I would attribute to what you're describing. Species exceptionalism? What, sorry? Species exceptionalism? 
Um, maybe that's the word for it. I'm not too sure. It's basically like placing one species over another. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, ourselves over everything else. Yeah. Um, but I think there is an aspect of we do need to care for ourselves. We do need to be surviving mm. and be content mm. in order to look after other stuff. I'm not going to be able to water anyone else's garden if I can't water my own garden. Mm. So mm. there is – it's that middle ground again. I yes. think it's really important that um, we are in a place where we can enact change. Mm. We can't change anything if we're – big ball of anxiety and stress and um, not content with our own lives because we're not really focusing on the, the problems or focusing on what's important because we're so, like, caught up. I have um, just – you've just triggered a light bulb for me and I just want to say it before it goes out of my head. Um, but I think – there's two ingredients to doing this properly. And the first ingredient is that we have to care for other lives as being equally valuable as our life and that that is a more, um, you know, un and not even just an individual life, but the systems that operate and the health of those systems in how that they protect all the lives within those natural systems. But as part of that, valuing we can't give value to anything external unless we actually give value to our own lives so we actually need to start with ourselves start that value process and then extend that self-compassion outside of ourselves and I think um I think that those are the two key ingredients like it's not self-compassion at the expense of all else it's self it's starting with self-compassion in order to properly care for everything else yeah and sometimes even caring for everything else gives us that self-compassion too and that self-worth i know for me personally um if i'm in an environment that's thriving i'm much more happy mm. with myself mm. i think it's that balance of like we are equally as important we can't forget ourselves in that but mm. we also can't place ourselves at the top mm. either it's it's not a pyramid of importance yes. yeah i think it's yeah i don't know what i'm saying but i hope that made sense it was very <laughs> profound it, yeah i have i have two last questions before we wrap up um, and that was everything that I wrote, but my two last questions I sent on the WhatsApp and they're just a bit philosophical. And after I wrote this podcast, I was thinking about them and my follow-up questions were, is care a form of control, controlling something so it doesn't change or changes in the precise way we desire it to? That's my first question. Any, anyone? Is um, should be freedom. I think that's if, if you truly care about something, you you nurture it, water it, but then allow it to do its own thing, have its own experience. Mm. It's going to come in to probably have a few uh, uh, bumps here and there, as in hiccups. It could come and like walk straight into a wall. But again, there's a way around it. You know, there's. It needs uh, no, 
true care is a nurturing but not controlling. It has to be mm. very symbiotic, mm. unconditional, love-based. Is what I have to say. I think that was beautiful, and I think that was the answer that we needed. And then my second question, unless you have any response, money. Okay. Um, no, I think that was a perfect um, sort of response to that. So I'll leave that there. Awesome. Okay. Last, last question, and then we can wrap this up. And thank you so much, everybody here in this room today for participating. This was really, it's very nurturing to my soul, and it's lovely to have you guys. Uh, okay. Second question. Uh, is does acceptance mean to accept accept something as it is now or to accept the evolution of that entity whatever it may be so I guess that's like what is the relationship to acceptance and time do you accept something as it was in its glory days something as it is now or like what is acceptance that's such a beautiful question uh, I think we all can relate to this like it's cool we were um, in college or somewhere, then you grow up and you grow out of all that and you transform uh, into this thriving ecosystem and then when you uh, when you come across these glimpses of your past uh, and you come across people, uh, for example, like when in your past, they still look at you the same way. Mm. You're the same uh, link or you're the same man to those people. Mm. Sometimes it's not going to be ideal, 